Hi guys, welcome to the Schofield Stories with me, Calum Schofield. Every show we're going to have some incredible guests, all with one thing in common. They've all got a story to tell. So sit back, get ready for some laughter, tears and a little bit of stamina activism here on the Schofield Stories. Joining me for this episode is actor Jeffrey Stab. Having a stammer hasn't stopped him appear in, appearing in over 100 films. He's here on the Schofield Stories to tell us about the journey of overcoming the fear of stuttering, among many other things. Welcome, Jeffrey. Good to be here, my dude. Thank you for asking me to be on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. So... Obviously, acting is not a profession people with a stutter would be expected to go into. So how do you become an actor with a stutter? Uh, well, it's, it's a really long story. It would take several days just to film the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I didn't start acting uh, until I was 35. Yeah. But prior to that, you know, of course... I'm on the show because I grew up with a stutter and uh, I, I didn't start stuttering until I was four. And that, that came as a result of you know, my, my dad actually, or, or accidentally ran over me uh, with the car. And that's, what, what, that, that's the trauma that triggered my stammer and stutter and which plagued me through, you know, grade school, junior high, and some of high school. But um, as far as acting goes, to, to answer your question, uh, I didn't start till I was 35. And it was, uh, it, it was a do or die window of opportunity that I didn't want to pass up because uh, I had just gotten divorced from my wife. And prior to that, uh, being 35 years old, you know, I was a father of three kids, and uh, I lived my life primarily with a lot of my old habits that I carried with me from stuttering. And it wasn't until my late teens that I overcame stuttering, but that old habits of me stuttering carried forward. It's kind of like saying uh, when, when someone goes in for for plastic surgery, you know, they uh, they go in there because they don't like their face or whatever, you know. So they go under the knife, they get the facelift, they get a nose job. Uh, but what tends to happen with that is that after the plastic surgery, uh, it doesn't seem to make a lot of these people who do plastic surgery, it, does, it doesn't seem to make them or fulfill them up and make them happy. They still don't like themselves. Uh, and so the reason part of the reason for that is that they haven't changed the internal image of themselves prior to or after the plastic surgery so their happiness never kind of gets to the point where they want it and that was what i was dealing with with my stuttering problem um i i, I 
I wanted to clear up my stuttering and speak fluently, and I did, but I didn't change the perception I had of myself after I could speak fluently. So it, it was a, a progressive journey for me. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that probably 80% of my conquering, if you will, for lack of better words, with stuttering in regards to that was psychology. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense to you, I, I had to really change my perception of myself and re-image myself in my, on the movie screen of my mind's eye, you know, uh, in order for me to um, trust myself and uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, darn it, I just had it in my mind and it, it left me, but um, so that that's back to my original point with acting to answer your question uh, without uh, coming up with too much of a long answer. Um, I, uh, I knew that it was an opportunity for me to start living my life the way I wanted to live it. And prior to that, I had lived it up to uh, living with the, living up to the expectations of what other people thought were right for me, you know, for approval and self-acceptance and, you know, all that emotional baggage that comes with stuttering. Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it completely does. And when you talk about the emotional baggage and the perception of yourself, how hard was it to change? I'm not saying it's easy to learn to control your speech, but it's a lot harder to control your mind. What's your opinion on that? Well, all the success that I've had in the past 16 years with acting, um, stuttering, well, let me back up, okay? Because stuttering, for me, in hindsight, was a horrible thing. As you know, it's horrible. Growing up with a stammer and a stutter is horrible. Uh, but with that said, it, it was also the greatest gift that I could have ever received because, um, you know, some people, some people when they're afflicted with something like a stutter or a stammer or some, some kind of disability, which by the way, uh, and I've said this in previous interviews, but everyone, I don't care who it is, has a, has a disability of some kind, whether it's speech or mobility or mental or emotional, every one of us has some kind of disability. And so, um, what was your question again? It was talking about how, when you talk about your perception of your stammer and being able to move forward, how hard was the journey to sort of change your mindset rather than just your speech? Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, well, I, what, as I was saying at the beginning of my answer, <laughs> my thoughts were 
racing back and forth and um, everything that I'm doing now, uh, as far as me stuttering being a gift, um, I, I had to learn and master the art of being in the present moment, uh, which means that you know I, I couldn't be thinking about my life in the past or you know how my life was going to go in the future. When you're an actor, you have to master the art of being in the present moment uh, because when you're on the set and that camera's rolling, uh, you, you can't be concerned with the overdraft that you have at the bank or the argument that you might have just had on the phone with your significant other or uh, where you're going to get the money to, you know, feed yourself or whatever the situation is. Um, because the camera will pick that up. If you're not in the present moment, totally engaged with your scene partner or whatever you're doing in that scene, that camera will, will pick it up. But uh, being in the present moment was really what I had to strive for. Uh, and as you know, when, when someone stutters, they're, they're, they're pretty much afflicted with tons of fear and trauma and panic. Um, I had to, progressively teach myself to be calm, uh, to breathe. I'm, I'm what uh, I'm Brene Brown from uh, Daring Greatly, you know. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that you call a, a breather, that she would refer to as a breather. Because uh, yeah. I, I would often spend a lot of time alone um, growing up with Stammer. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't talk and it was embarrassing. And by the way, just as an aside, for those out there listening who uh, don't know what it's like to have to speak with a stutter when you're young, uh, I'm going to try and describe what it's like. And I can only speak from my experience, but you might be able to, to uh, uh, relate to this. Whenever I had to speak, in front of people, um, which no one's born with a stammer or, or a, a stutter, uh, at least no one that I know of, but um, what I went through when I had to speak in front of people was the equivalent of, you know, when, when you first learned to drive a, a, a car, you know? Yeah. And someone gets in their first car accident and they're like, oh my God. And their body goes into shock and they start shaking and they're scared to death and they can feel every pulsating heartbeat that just goes through their body. It, it well, if for those of you who've been in a car accident would know, but yeah. that is exactly what it was like every time I had to speak in front of people. Um, so I, I really had to reframe, re-image how I saw myself. And I had to start seeing myself the way I wanted others to start seeing me. And I had to start seeing myself 
being a winner instead of a loser. Um, you know, you, you, you tell yourself um, that you're a loser long enough and your subconscious mind is going to start believing it. And I had to retrain my subconscious mind to see me as someone who is worthy of greatness. And uh, that there's so many emotional milestones that we all have to overcome. I don't care if it's stuttering um, or going through some kind of trauma, but uh, there was a, a lot of emotional upheaval, but it's, it's another thing that I really did and I, and I practiced wholeheartedly and faithfully and, and consistently, and I still do it today, uh, was it, growing up, you know, in grade school, high school, you always, uh, there's always someone in your class who had the ability to let their light shine. And it's someone, you know, whether it's the class president or the, you know, the popular guy or girl, um, and someone who was good with sports and you weren't particularly good or popular, uh, because of whatever reason, whether you had a stammer or a stutter or uh, some kind of disability, or you weren't a very good student, but there was always someone who let their light shine, right? Yeah. And, and those are the kind of people that we all wanted to be like. So I had to find a lot of role models of people that I wanted to be like, and I had to model myself after them, uh, if that makes sense to you. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So that's stuttering. It, it was one of the one of the hardest things I had to try and overcome. And I still do stutter on occasion when I get really excited. Uh, but for the most part. Um, I can speak pretty fluently as you can, as you can tell. And it wasn't easy. It took years of progressive work. Um, I decided I, I, I had to make a decision and I'll tell you the uh, event that tipped the scales for me of making a decision to want to speak fluently because my parents had sent me to the speech therapist before and nothing worked because I thought I was flawed. The term I used um, quite often when I was growing up was re was retard. You know, I thought I was retarded. You know, I was tested for learning disabilities. Um, you name it. But it, it, when, when you believe that you're not enough and not worthy and that you're flawed, and that there's something wrong with you. I just didn't, I, I, I thought I was the biggest piece of shit, basically. I uh, hated everything about myself, my name, uh, my face, everything. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like anything about myself. Uh, and it all started with stuttering. And it's amazing how, you know, being bullied or made fun of can really affect someone. Uh, but words, 
mean things and they can be quite painful if you use them incorrectly. Um, but I, it's, I was in the seventh grade and I was in my geography class and we were all seated alphabetically and my last name begins with an S for Stab, right? So I'm like the last one in, in a class of maybe 20, 25 people. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, at least I'm the last one. And the teacher announces that we're all going to read a paragraph out of our chapter book aloud, one at a time, alphabetically. Well, I would be the last one, so I'm sitting there and I'm hoping and praying that the bell rings before they get to me. Uh, you know, because I I did a very good job of um, not having to read out loud or, or get up and speak. Yeah. And so, lo and behold, the bell didn't ring and they got to me. And I stuttered out that I didn't want to read, which took a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, and then the uh, teacher says, oh, why don't you want to read? And I was like, well, duh. I'm thinking in my head, well, duh, because I stutter. I mean, it, it'll take forever to get through this paragraph kind of thing. Uh, and plus, you know, I, I'm going to make a fool of myself in front of my classmates. And so as I'm thinking this, a friend of mine from across the room is still a really good friend of mine today. Says, uh, hey, teach, leave him alone. He doesn't want to read because he stutters. And she kind of chuckled and said, well, surely he can read something. And she wasn't laughing at me because I had a, you know, because I stuttered. She was laughing at the whole idea that I didn't think I was good enough to speak fluently. So I was thoroughly humiliated and embarrassed and she held me back after class and she literally drugged me down the hallway to the, uh, uh, to the principal's office. And on the way to the principal's office, I remember being so angry that I stuttered and so humiliated, you know, you're walking down a hall and all, all your classmates are there and everyone in school's there and they, you know, they're all talking and you think that they're talking about you, but actually they really don't give a damn. Yeah. Uh, but it was that, and, and I'll never forget this because I was, and she was dragging me down the hallway, you know, and she was nice. Um, she, she wanted to help me, but I was so angry with myself and my stutter. And it was on that long, humiliating walk down to the principal's office that I decided I was never going to stutter again. And so it wasn't until, and you talked about the emotional side of this, it wasn't until I made the decision 
that I wasn't going to stutter again, that my life started to turn around. And it's one thing to make a decision, but it's another thing to make a decision and then commit to fulfilling everything that is required with that decision. And so that's the day that things started to turn around for me. And I started seeing myself in a different way that I hadn't seen myself before. I started to see myself with a little more empathy and compassion. And for a lot of us, that's hard to do uh, when, we're in, when we're in the uh, foxhole of all that emotional, you know, the emotional battles that we uh, wage inside our mind, you know. Yeah, I completely understand. And how hard was it to stay on track? As as you said, it can be hard to make a de decision, but then to stay with that decision and work on it can be even harder. So how did you kind of keep at it, you know, keep that determination? Uh, well, it, it, here's the other side of it. Um, I had to accept that I stuttered 100% without judging it. And that took a while. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it took me about four years to learn how to trust myself enough to speak fluently. And yet, I still stuttered when I talked to certain people. Um, and it was usually fear that got in the way. So, um, I uh, I had to accept that I stuttered. You know, I didn't have to like it, but I accepted it, and I knew it, it. It was something that I had to work at, and I was determined um, to speak fluently. And I I was pretty quiet and shy growing up because of the stutter, you know. Yeah. Completely. And, I, and I didn't. I didn't talk very much. Uh, it was just safer to stay in my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. And not say a word uh, because I didn't think I didn't want to put people through the inconvenience of having to listen to me stutter out a sentence or what I thought. I, I just didn't want to put them through that because you know you. And then you start seeing yourself as a burden. Yeah. And then you start yeah. isolating yourself in loneliness. Um, so it was a, pro a progressive realization. And I had my good days and my bad days. You know, there were days where I just hated myself. Uh, and days where I would be able to speak a whole sentence without stammering. And I, it was great, you know. Yeah, it was like, oh yeah, I I said that without stuttering, and and then you know the next day it would be just I, I would be a bumbling idiot, um, it, trying to stutter something out. But you know you, and I noticed something, uh, and this came years later in my twenties, and I never thought to think that it was all linked to fear. 
Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like Franklin and Delano Roosevelt said, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself kind of thing. And, yeah. um, it's, it, it was, uh, it was a self-inflicted emotional battle, basically overcoming my own fears and getting out of my own way. Yeah, that is very important. I don't think people can understand sometimes how hard it is to have a battle with yourself and only yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, and I still battle myself uh, today. I, I don't think anyone is exempt from that. No, not at all. Um, you know, I, I, I'll... Uh, well, as an example, I, I was I was about two hundred and ten pounds, and I would get up and look at the mirror, and I would like, oh, you fat blob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you you sit there and think, man, it would just be so nice if you could snap your finger, and everything would be the way you wanted it. But that's not how things work, and. I'm grateful for the struggle of having to overcome stuttering uh, yeah. because, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to be an actress since I was seven. And there were a few times when, uh, like in high school, I was asked to go out for the, try out for the play, The, the King and I. And I actually went in and auditioned. And I got the second lead role, which just blew my mind. Yeah, I bet. And, and then after the announcement, I waited for a week because I was petrified. Uh, because I, I, I knew I had troubles during the audition. Um, trying not to stutter. Because I was just, you know, scared to death to be up on stage in front of the director. And it was just her uh, and maybe one other student. But um, I, I was afraid that I was going to screw up the whole show and start stuttering that I waited for a whole week and I couldn't take the agony of, um, of the possibility that that might happen. So I dropped out and I often wonder what would have happened had I actually stayed in, but you never know how far you are to success. If you quit, um, yeah, definitely. You, you never know how close you are. If you quit, if you keep going, you will succeed and you will be victorious. Uh, if you decide to be, Definitely, as as you said, you dropped out of the play because of your stutter there. But then, yes, eight thirty-five, you started pursuing this, so it sort of came back. You know, because you wanted to do it and you wanted to succeed. Am I right in saying that? Oh yes, yes. I uh, as, like I said at the very beginning, it was a window of opportunity for me, and I wasn't about to pass it up. Uh, so, and I didn't know. 
you know, growing up in Kansas City, you know, Kansas City was not a huge Hollywood mecca, you know. Uh, it's a big city, one of my favorite places. Um, I love living there. Uh, but I didn't know all the right people. And it's kind of like um, stuttering. You know, I, I didn't know all the right people. My parents finally, after I had decided to, uh, that I was never going to stutter again, um, nothing worked for me because I had decided prior to that point that I couldn't be fixed. You know, there, there's, uh, it comes a time in every stutterer's life where they reach a point where they don't believe they can be fixed or that they can overcome their stammer, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I had to reach that point where, okay, maybe we can fix this thing. Um, and it, it can be done. There, there are, you know, there are a number of people who go through stuttering and they grow out of it. But, um, with me, it, uh, I wanted to speak fluently and normally like everybody else more than I didn't want to. Yeah, I, I was tired of hiding out. I was tired of being afraid because you know, growing up, I was afraid of almost everyone and everything. I mean, I was just a scared shitless little guy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I it, it's exhausting. Being that scared all the time is exhausting. Yeah, and you, you eventually reach a point where you just surrender. I'm going, okay, let's do something about this. And so that's what I did. And like I said before, I always knew I wanted to be an actress since I was seven. And I finally had the opportunity at 35. Uh, of course, by that point, I was more self-confident than I was growing up, you know, but I, I had been through a lot of trauma. I'd been run over by my dad accidentally, of course. He loves me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had gone through the severe depression, you know, the suicide, you know, been in, been in the mental hospital, you know, was homeless and slept out of my car for a short period of time. Um, you know, I, I grew up in an upper middle class family. I mean, there was love there, uh, but it's when you're convinced and you believe that you're flawed and that you can't be fixed, man, it, it's just nothing's going to work. But once you change your mind and you start believing that, reframe your beliefs, reframe the way you see yourself, and start making decisions that uh, are a little more uplifting for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, the, the old saying, when, when you ask better questions, you get better answers. And some of us ask the wrong questions over and over consistently. And by that, I mean, you know, we, we can ask questions like, uh, why am I such a loser all the time? And this is interesting because 
everything I've been through in my life, you know, from the depression to the, you know, I thought it was crazy till I went to a mental hospital and I found out what crazy was, but uh, I'll, I can tell you stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, um, God, where was I going with this? Um, I was going to make a brilliant point. Uh, and then I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, Oh, jeez. Help me out here, Caleb. Well, you were talking about how, about moving forward and if you're asking the right questions, sorry, asking the wrong answers. What am I saying? Asking the wrong questions, you know, that gives oh. you the wrong answers. You need to change your beliefs. I got it, I got it. Okay, so it, it, kind of like if you keep... You ask yourself, why am I such a loser? Often enough, you're going to start believing that you are. Uh, but this goes back to the movie business and being an actor, being in the present moment, too. Uh, everything that I've been through in my life has prepared me for what I'm doing now. And even talking with you. But when you ask yourself, better questions, you get better answers. Instead of asking yourself, why am I such a loser? Uh, why am I always late all the time? Uh, why doesn't anybody like me? Well, the movie screen in your mind, when you ask those kind of questions, will start flashing images and short films on the movie screen of your mind with pictures that validate all the answers of why you're such a loser. But if you turn that around, and start asking yourselves, ourselves better questions like, why does everybody love me so much? Why am I so good at basketball? Why am I so good at rugby? Or why am I such a good actor? Why am I such a good mom or dad or class president? Or why am I such a great radio host, podcast host? It doesn't matter what the question is, whether it's positive or negative, that movie screen in your mind will start flashing images of validating all the reasons why you're such a good podcast host. You know, why can I speak so fluently so well? When you start asking those kinds of questions, your mind automatically naturally wants to validate the answers. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. So I really had to work hard at being positive all the time. And I'm very committed uh, to being a wholehearted person, living a wholehearted life and people treating people in a wholehearted way. And I never have to worry about pissing someone off <laughs> or making an enemy. If I live that way, you know, and not everyone's going to like me, you know, um, I can tell you a story. Uh, uh, growing up with stutter, you know, I, I was, I, I became soft spoken. I was always, I was always so timid and shy and quiet. Yeah. So I was really, really soft spoken and I developed a reputation of being stuck up in a snob. 
And the reason was, and I didn't find out, I, I didn't start seeing this until I was about 22. But people would say hi to me, and I would actually say hi back, but I was so soft-spoken that they didn't hear me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could hear me saying I, but they didn't. And then you would get the reaction. And then, you know, growing up, kids talk back and forth and they gossip. And, um, I found out that I had to inform the rest of my body or my vocal cords, my diaphragm, that I need to start speaking up. Uh, because I have a voice and uh, uh, you really have to change the way you do things uh, and you have to start seeing yourself uh, in a different way than you had before in order to make the changes that you want to make. I completely agree with that, especially about changing yourself that focus on yourself rather than comparing yourself to other other people i think is very important especially when you talk about asking questions you're asking questions about you and what you can do rather than looking at someone else and thinking what you can't do right um yeah i can give you a great example um in 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 the acting business uh yeah I have a lot of people who come to me and ask me for advice a lot about how to be a great actor. And one of the first things I tell them is don't compare yourself to anybody else. And by that, I mean, uh, and you can apply this to anything you do in life. Uh, not comparing yourself, you know, there's, there's all these great actors, you know, you got, Anthony Hopkins, you got Morgan Freeman, you got Jack Nicholson, you got Meryl Streep, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, I don't care who it is, but they each have their own unique way of acting. Yeah. And you can give the same role to any one of those and every one of those people is going to portray that role differently. And so, the great thing about being human is that we're, you know, as humans, we're all the same. We all cry the same, bleed the same, eat the same. But when it comes to talent and ability, um, Caleb, there's no one who can host a podcast like you can, the way you do it. And so when someone asks me, me for advice, I immediately tell them, don't compare yourself to other people. Uh, because if you do, you're just doomed to uh, defeat and failure. And the, the brilliant thing about that is that there's nobody who can do what you do the way you do it like you do it. That's what differentiates uh, Danny DeVito from Arnold Schwarzenegger or Whoopi Goldberg from Meryl Streep or uh, Anthony Hopkins from Morgan Freeman or Tom Hanks from Robert Redford. Uh, 
there's nobody who can do what you do the way you do it like you do it. And that's the brilliant thing about this. Because when you walk into an audition room for casting, uh, I used to hate auditioning. But now I get excited because I know there's no one who can do what I do like I do it the way I do it. So that automatically lets you off the hook. So we all have our own individual talents and abilities that nobody else can do like we do it. So to compare yourself to someone else uh, as good or bad just sets you up for failure. If that makes sense to you. It really does. And it sounds so simple the way you say it. It's not comparing yourself to others because no one can do what you do like you do and it does sound so simple when it's said out loud but it's something that can be hard to get your head around especially when you have your own insecurities like for us having a stammer yes yes can i share a a, a, a little story of course um back in 2006 it was like uh I think February, March, maybe. Um, and I had just, it had been a couple of years since I started my acting career. I started doubting myself and the decision that I made because everyone thought I was absolutely nuts uh, to want to become an actor at such a later age at, at 35. Uh, but I didn't care. Um, and one day, but, you know, going through from growing up, going through the stuttering, the depression, you know, the mental hospital, and, uh, I'm not crazy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's no worries. <laughs> it was just an experience. Um, you know, going through a really bad marriage and, you know, having three kids. And I loved being a dad. There were two things I'm really good at. Being a dad and acting. I love them both. Uh, but so it, it's 2006, right? And this kind of wraps up everything that I'm saying, you know, about letting your light shine and letting yourself off the hook and not comparing yourself to other people and being self loving and self accepting, respecting yourself uh, and start seeing the light that's within you. But here's, I, I always thought that I was missing something. I always felt like there was just something I wasn't getting. Um, and so it's 2006 and there's this movie out called Aquila and the Bee, which is about a, a, a little black girl who, who grows up um, east side of LA, I believe, the rough part of town. And she wins the national spelling bee and she's like, nine, 10, 11, 12. And, uh, she, it, so it's, it, it's the movie about her struggling from, um, going through that, you know, living in the rough part of town to becoming a national role model icon by winning the national spelling bee. So the movie's called Aquila and the bee. And I'm sitting there, <clears throat> And she's with uh, 
her a mentor, which is played by William Fishburne. And they're having an argument. And he turns, turns her around and says, go read the plaque on the wall. And so she did. And I'm going to pull it up and read what she read in the uh, movie. Um, if I can bring it up here. It was... Um, It's Our Deepest Fear. It was written by Marion Williamson, but they featured it in this movie. And this is what turned my life around. This is the missing piece that I had been searching for. And I, thank God I was the only one there. I, I, had, I went back and watched this movie three more times just to hear this quote. Oh, wow. Uh, but it so changed my life because it gave me the answer to the missing link that, that Thing that I was missing. And so she went on to recite this, this poem that Marian Williamson wrote in A Course in Miracles. A lot of people think it was written by Nelson Mandela, but he just borrowed it. But it's called Our Deepest Fear. And our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is not our light. It's our, it is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is, in with, that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Now, she didn't recite this whole poem, but when she said, in this movie, when she said, there's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you, a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, aha, and I started weeping in the theater. Thank God I was the only one in the, you know, it's very rare where I, you, you go to a movie and you're the only one in the theater, but I love it. But, I started weeping when I heard her say that because I thought, ah, that's it. That's what I'm missing. So you, you remember in the very beginning when I, I said, you know, there's, I made the comment that there was always someone in school that we admired that we wanted to be just like. Yeah. And, and it was because they let their light shine. And so I started weeping because I knew that all this time I had been shrinking myself and not letting my own light shine. And I was just devastating my own ability 
to be great. All because I didn't want others to feel insecure around me. So after I realized what I had been doing all these years by shrinking myself and not letting my light shine, I was like, baby, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, because I knew that's what I had been doing to myself. And it wasn't anybody else doing it to me. It was all self-inflicted. Uh, you know, yes, we all go through trauma. Yes, we all have bad days. Yes, we all go through bad things. But that doesn't mean we have to let those bad things control our life. It's, it, it's not so much what happens. It's what you do after it happens with the rest of your life. It's how you deal with it. It's, it's how you respond. So, and this is why I love movies and this is why I love acting because you have the opportunity to do things on film in a movie or on television that really can make an impact in somebody else's life. So I am grateful for the gift of being able to stutter because I know what it's like to have to go through that kind of pain and that trauma. And, you know, it, I don't care if it's suicide. I don't care if it's depression. I don't care if it's being <laughs> poor and sleeping out of your car. Yeah. But this all goes back to comparing yourself to somebody else. There's no need for it. Um, let your light shine. And it really helps if you have, if you start surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, that, that saying about uh, your group of friends really will say a lot about you as a person. It's absolutely true. So. My whole point is, you know, you were born to make manifest the glory of, of God that's within you. It's, it's your light. It's your gift. There's nobody who can do what you do. So let your light shine. Even if you screw up, big deal. So with that said, you know, that, that movie changed my life. And so after I discovered that I was the only one, you know, I basically had to pull the lampshade off of my head uh, because there's so many of us who don't let our light shine. And all we have to do is take the lampshade off and, you know, shine, baby, shine. So once I discovered the missing link of... Well, that's it. I've been shrinking myself. I, I, I stopped doing it immediately. And I started letting my light shine. You know, I didn't care if I screwed up or not. Because everyone screws up. We, know. we don't do things perfectly all the time. So I started modeling my life after Olympic athletes. And I say that because Olympic athletes trained for years, decades, 
to run one event three or four times to get the gold. And it's not so much to win the gold medal as much as it is to become the person they have to become in order to be worthy of that kind of honor. So I started modeling my life and my actions and what I did after the lives of Olympic athletes. I totally eliminated any kind of distraction that would prevent me from not speaking fluently or being a successful actor. And I totally committed to it. I mean, I, I didn't, when I got a divorce, my kids came to me and said, dad, we don't want a stepmom." And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, this is perfect. So I didn't even have to think, didn't even have to hesitate. I said, done deal. So I didn't date or remarry for, well, it's been 16 years now since I started my acting career because I've been totally committed to raising them, being a good dad and being a great actor. Um, because I didn't want to have them have to compete for my love and affection because of the other woman, you know, the uh, stepmom. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. Not that that is a bad thing, and I'm not saying, you know, people can't have relationships, but so I promised them that I wouldn't, and my youngest is now 22, and she's married, and I'm off the hook, and I can date whoever I want, but I still haven't. Uh, because I am so committed to um, well I wasted a lot of, I don't want to say wasted um, because those years were instrumental everything I've done so far has prepared me for this moment that I'm sitting with you on this podcast <coughs> excuse me um, Uh, yeah, so I modeled myself after Olympic athletes um, because I knew that I had to become the kind of person worthy to do great things. And so I did a lot of work on myself. And like I told you before, I had to master being in the present moment. There were two things I learned when I became an actor. Everything has been just miraculously linked to my acting career uh, and, and growing up and everything that I've been through. So, uh, but there are two principles that I had to learn and you can apply these, these, uh, these principles to any kind of profession, but uh, the first principle I learned, and my acting coach, which is another story I could tell you how I found him. Um, so anyway, he, he, he told me these, these two principles. Uh, one is to be in the present moment all the time, 24-7. And the other one was the total concentration away from the self is a creative source of acting. 
And by that, he meant being the present moment, <clears throat> and which is why I said at the beginning of the podcast that, you know, you can't be concerned with the overdraft, the argument you just had while you were on set filming because the camera will pick it up. You have to be in the present moment all the time, kind of like you and I are engaged in this conversation right now on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'm totally here in the present moment. Um, and I'm not thinking about what happened an hour ago or what I need to do after I hang up the phone. But you know, I, I love people. And I, gosh darn it, you know, I, I know what it's like to have to struggle, but I also know what it's like to succeed and win. And it's, it's hard work. Uh, you know, uh, being successful at anything is hard work, whether it's overcoming a, a stutter or, you know, uh, physical rehabilitation, you break your leg, whatever. Uh, you go through an accident and you have to recover. Uh, nothing substantial in life comes to us without a substantial amount of effort going forward, if that makes sense to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It really does. As what I always say is, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. Yeah, not so. So as we come towards the end of this interview, what would you say is next for you? What's your sort of hopes and aspirations now? You know, you've got your acting career. You're the person you want to be. You're committed. So what's next for you? Well, I'm going to come to the UK and win a BAFTA, and you and I are going to go out for a drink. That sounds perfect. <laughs> I always ask that question. That's the best answer I've ever had on all my podcasts. I'm putting it out there now. Yeah, well, you, you just wait. You, I, I'll, I'll come to the UK. They'll hand me a BAFTA. God, what an honor that would be. I would be. Uh, and then you and I go out for dinner. And then you could do another podcast interview. And boy, wouldn't that be something? Oh, that would be sort of like, uh, not so much before and after, but, you know, a return of a fan favorite, I could say. Yeah, and then you and I can go out and do something fun like ride horses, which is one of my, one of my favorite things to do. I love horses. But that's what's next. That's what's coming. I'm making a prediction and I'm, I'm going to, now that I've said that, I got to come through. Yeah, you do. All right, my friend. Is there anything else you want to talk about? The only other question, which is again, when I asked to all my listeners, or all my, all my guests, sorry, what advice would you share with my listeners, whether this is about acting, stammering, just personal life, what, what would you, your main piece of advice be to share with my listeners? Well, it's kind of twofold. If you want to speak fluently like I had to learn to do, 
it can be done. Uh, let your light shine. That's that's the biggest thing. Love yourself enough. You you've got to want to speak fluently more than you don't want to. That's how you change anything. You've got to want it more. I like I wanted to be an actor more than I didn't want to be. Uh, you know, and so I, over the 16 years, I did 100 plus films and I lost track after 90, but, um, you know, it's, you really have to want it. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed this episode. It's great having characters like you on the show, you know, sharing your experience, sharing your life stories. And just having a nice chat. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure meeting you, getting to know you, and I know my listeners will definitely feel the same. It's been my honor to have you on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeffrey Starb. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Schofield Stories podcast. Without you, my incredible listeners, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support really does mean to me. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and many more platforms. Thank you to everyone at Zoom and Anchor, as without those two apps, I wouldn't be able to record nor publish any episodes. So thank you, everyone there. A massive shout out to Stammer for their ongoing work, going above and beyond helping people who Stammer. Please check them out. And finally, if you want more, my website is proudrecoveringstammer.wordpress.com. Find me on Facebook under Calum Schofield, Stammering Activist. And the official Instagram for the podcast is at the underscore Schofield underscore stories. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, I couldn't do this show. It honestly means everything to me that you're here listening. So thank you again. I hope to speak to you again for the next episode of the Schofield Stories. Bye for now.